Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we'll be interviewing another Grammy-nominated actress, Anjanou Ellis. But before we get to Anjanou, I wanted to commend House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I'm not sure this is done enough, but in case you missed it this past week, Speaker Pelosi addressed concerns from moderate Democrats who threatened to stop Democrats' $3.5 trillion, yes, that's trillion with a T, dollar spending package if there wasn't a clear path and a date certain on voting out the $1.9 trillion bipartisan infrastructure package. After some infighting between House D's, Pelosi emerged with a deal that cleared the way for the House to flesh out the $3.5 trillion proposal that would invest in paid leave, affordable housing, lower prescription drug prices, and extend the child tax credit folks have been getting since last month. And she's set to Uh, on September 27th, have a deadline to vote out the infrastructure package that would make historic improvements in our roads, bridges, airports, broadband, and a whole lot of other great shit. Most importantly, these two packages represent the core of the Biden domestic agenda. And if they fail, an already uphill battle for Democrats in 2022 would likely be over and 2024 would be in jeopardy for the president. So, Pelosi put out these fires and moving these massive packages along are the right politics and the right policy because we need this money. And Joe Biden needs these wins, as does every Democrat running next year. Because while there is a real disappointment around Washington for voting rights and police reform, if they don't get these justice issues resolved and drop the ball on things that Democrats are expected to do around infrastructure and social programs, that would be a massive fail. Big L. But we don't give the speaker her flowers often enough for keeping Democrats in line. And yet again, she's shown why she keeps the gavel by keeping the trains moving along as Democrats seek to make historic investments in our families and our communities. So cheers to the speaker and to getting these bills across the finish line. And that's that on that. Now on to our guests. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Today on the Bakari Sellers Podcast, I have an awesome opportunity to interview somebody who is one of the most gifted artists that we have in our world today, Miss Anjanou Ellis. How are you? 
unworthy of that introduction, but I'm all right. <laughs> I'm all right. Uh, I'm happy to be what, here. What, what paintings are those over your shoulder? What are over your right shoulder? What are those? Yes, this is a, this is a piece uh, by Kamala Eaton. Mm-hmm. And right here um, to the right, my right shoulder, is a piece by Ronald, Ronald Hall. Oh, both of those are gorgeous. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, I'm, I'm proud of them. So we, we start and I start my episodes by, you know, asking people about the arc of their career. And so mm-hmm. walk us through your career. I mean, you started on stage and then transitioned to film and television. What was your first break in the industry and how did you know that acting would be your calling? I'll start with the latter part of your question. I didn't know that acting would, I didn't know that I would be acting still right now. I had no idea. It was not what I wanted to do. It was not what I imagined for myself. I don't have that great origin story that I knew at five years old that I was going to be, you know what I'm saying? I didn't, I didn't have that, but it's interesting to me this having these kinds of conversations because all of this stuff has kind of been distilled for me that sometimes you don't have visions for yourself. Some sometimes someone else has a vision for you. And Amen. they can see, they can see things, they can see things and manifest things that you aren't able to, not because you lack imagination, because sometimes you just lack opportunity. And um, I'm from Southwest Mississippi. And it ain't no, it wasn't no Angela Bassett's in South Mississippi when I was growing up. They just didn't exist. There was no template for for that. I knew that I was somebody who peddled in the imagination and lived there more, more than more than most people. But I didn't think acting would be it. I was I I was a writer. I wanted to write, but someone else saw the acting thing for me, and they encouraged me to go to school and to stay in school. Because if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be talking to you because I wouldn't have had the courage to do it on my own. Uh, And then I went to NYU by this person's encouragement. And um, from that, I got a job before I graduated from school. And then I started working in in film and television. And that kind of kept me going because if I was that chick who had to get on a bus and go to go to New York, you know, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. So that's what happened. You mentioned briefly, though, the fact that you um, your Mississippi roots, um, you were yes. born in San Francisco, but you attended Tougaloo. Yes. A great, a great, fascinating, historically black college and university. I'm a Morehouse grad. So I appreciate all of my HBCU brethren and, and sisters. Talk about your Mississippi roots and how your upbringing shapes the orientation towards your craft. I think that some of the most, in terms of my formative experience as, as someone who is a creative person, happened in the church. Mm. You know, the church experience, particularly the black church experience for me was a machine for art. (laughs) It was just, it just, that's just what it was. We didn't, we didn't readily identify it as that. We didn't know to do that. 
But every every facet of the worship experience, particularly, is rooted in art, sermons, singing, prayer. There's art to that. And in terms of my education and the kind of education that I got, there was nothing that compared to that even now. Even now, as a as someone who still tries to, you know, play these other characters, it's 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 I dip from that. I dip from that well, you know, because I have never been more moved than I have been moved in that experience. I just want to peel back the layer a little bit, and I've asked this question of a couple of individuals who've come on the show, Omar Epps and I Lathan, um, just recently. Uh, Journey Smollett, of course. But do you feel, oh, and and probably the best interview. You you can be second best, Anjanu, but I, I did interview Cicely Tyson, who was by far the best interview that I've able, been able to do. But do you feel uh, with your history in the church, with coming from Southern Mississippi, with going to Tougaloo, that you have a platform and you have to carry the lived experiences of being a black woman in this country. Is that an extra burden for you in the art that you portray? I see it. It's not a burden. It's a, it's a gift. Yeah. It is a gift. I see myself as the voice of, of my grandmother, of my mother, of my grandmama's mama. I am a living iteration of those women. And every time I've been really lucky in the last you know, few years or several years where I have played women who actually walk the face of the earth. They just weren't, you know, the the um, creations of some writer in a room like they actually are lived pe- people who have lived. And it's been for one thing, when I get to do that, I get to set the record straight. Mm. And, and also create a record where there has not where there has never been one. Mm. So that's a gift for me. That's a gift for me. You know, I, as somebody who's raised, who was raised, um, who was educated in a school where they didn't talk about nobody that looked like me, you know, except in February, you know what I'm saying? And <laughs> so what I get to do, what I get to do is to, I get to tell that story. I get to tell that story that has been the the attempt to erase it is there. And so I get to I get to take my pen, you know, and 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 and, and fill that in. And then when there was never a, when there was never the idea that this person would exist at all, I get to present that to the world. That is not a burden, man. That is, yo, that is that is my ultimate blessing. That is what keeps me wanting to do this. Is I get is my is the gift to do something like that. You also taught at Hampton University, it was once Hampton Institute, now Hampton University. What was that experience like, and how have your HBCU? I just want to hear you verbalize it, but how have your HBCU experiences shaped the work that you do? Well, I think to, to, I think it's very generous. <laughs> I would be I ain't, I'm not gonna cap here. I did a week of I did a week workshop <laughs> at Hampton. So, um, you know, I ain't gonna, I'm not going to lie, but yeah, uh, my, my fr- a good friend of mine is a, is a vice president of Hampton and she invited me to come and, and do, do an, a week long acting workshop and actually w- acted in a play that she wrote. Um, but in terms of HBCUs, I mean, 
Um, there's a lot of talk about HBCUs now because of the vice president of the, of our country. But, you know, I went to Tougaloo College and Tougaloo College, you know, Mount, you know, Martin Luther King came to uh, Tougaloo College. Fannie Lou Hamer came. It was where the, the freedom rights movement, it was the home of it. It was a home of it. You know, it was where the, the language that was used in that movement was formed at Tougaloo. James Brown came to Tougaloo. You know what I'm saying? Like Tougaloo in, in all of its like 800 students is essential in the story of America, particularly in, in, in Black America. And I cannot say enough that this person who, who saw something in me, I met them, I met them there. He was a visiting professor, I met them there. And um, Tougaloo College ordered my steps. Ah, that's powerful. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Let me ask you an art question here. Do you have a preference between the stage, television, or film, and, and why? I'll never do stage again. I'll never do that again. I, I'm, I'm good with saying that. I love going to theater. I, I, um, I'm a consumer of theater, but I will never, ever, ever, ever do, do theater again. Why is so, that? I hear, I hear some, people, some people have said that they like the stage because of the instant gratification. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Good for them. I don't need it. I'm good. 
I'm good. So no, I I I love the theater. I I I appreciate it for what it you know the part that it played in. I don't know making me better at what I do. Um, but it wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me. I love film more than anything because you get to breathe in film. You get to breathe there. Television is is really about um, about production. And when I, I mean that, it's like you got to produce something. You got to produce seven pages a day. And if you don't get those pages, it's like the it's just it's a lot. And the stress of that, I'm, I, it, I don't, I'm not that interested in. But I, I, I like doing film. But here's the thing, you know, I've been lucky that I've worked on something like Lovecraft, where they shoot it, you know, where it's shot like a film, where they, it, it is, it is more, it, it is imperative for, it was imperative for uh, Misha Green and and the the producers to have our characters breathe in the way that you would normally not do on, on typical television. Before we get the, I, I have a very specific question about that, but you became a household name with your portrayal of Dr. Maddie Moss Clark. Uh, how did you prepare for that role? And was there an old choir director or auntie that you channeled for that role because you played the hell out of it? Tell me, tell me who who fixed the little chicken wings and macaroni and cheese in the church reception hall? Who who you patterned that after? Man, my portrayal of Dr. Maddie Moss Clark was rested in a composite of all these women. Ain't more, and it is more than one. It's more than one. It's 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 legions of them, and there's a whole lot of macaroni and cheese plate making in my life, you know what I'm saying? Uh, on Revival Sunday and May Day. I don't know what you, you know anything about that, but I so agree. yeah. Yeah, really? Okay. So yeah, yeah, there's there was not one person that she, you know, my I think if there was anybody that I kind of maybe sort of so on a subliminal type tapped into, my cousin actually told me this was was my grandmother and my aunt Ola May. Mm, well that <laughs> that's funny. You have an aunt Ola May. I got an aunt Jenny Marie. If you have an aunt with double names, you can tap into that. That means that she used a <laughs> she used a stick of butter and her sweet potato pies and coconut pies. And when you hug her, you smell like Chanel all day long. So yeah, I am I am with you on that. Yeah. So uh, congrats on your Emmy nomination for Lovecraft Country. And on this show, we're friends of Lovecraft. And it looks like the industry is, is realizing or finally realizing what we have known, which is Lovecraft is a phenomenal show. How does it feel to have the show recognized now and for your artistry to be recognized on that level? Lovecraft was just as it is named. It is, was a craft of love. It was a craft of love. And everybody that worked on that show, I had, I had just some... Just, I don't know, non-parel castmates. I call them co-workers on, in Journey Smollett and Jonathan Majors and Michael K. Williams and my daughter, Jada Harris and Courtney B. Vance and, and uh, Wumi Masaku and Journey Smollett. So they were just, they were, all of them were, were ride or dies and fearless in what they were doing and left ego at the door and just went for this ride. And I think that 
no matter what you thought about the show, that was just obvious. That was just obvious. There was no fear involved in the making of this show. Misha Green had no fear. It was just a fearless, it was a fearless, fearless show. And so, I mean, I, I love that. I love that people are like, why did you want to be involved? And I was like, well, I thought it was crazy. And I love crazy. I love crazy. I don't want to be bored. So I want to do something crazy, you know, so I can have something to talk about at the end of the day. You know what I mean? So that's what this was for me. And I, you know, I, my gratification comes from getting my hair did and hearing a sister who did my hair say, Lovecraft saved my life because I was going through depression in the middle of the pandemic and I had nobody to talk to and I needed to change my life. And I saw these women, you know, transforming in front of me on HBO on Sunday nights and it gave me permission to be somebody else. So that that's that was gratification enough for me. The awards thing, you know, they're subjective. They come and go. But um, for the love that I have for this show to be acknowledged in this way and for Misha to be acknowledged in this way, I'm really, really happy. And I want to just say one more thing about this. You know, Lovecraft was named after H.P. Lovecraft. And H.P. Lovecraft was this um, the book was inspired by. H.P. Lovecraft, Matt Ruff's book, Lovecraft Country. And H.P. Lovecraft was this racist, mm-hmm. you know, racist, textbook racist. And so for the idea that the name Lovecraft will forever be associated with Black revolution is, um, you know, it doesn't get better than that. I mean, you did flip the script on that. Is yeah, the is the industry recognizing, and this is probably a larger question, you can answer it or, or, or pun it, but is the industry finally recognizing black talent in this way? I mean, you, you see that, you know, yourself and many others are being recognized with Emmys. Are we at a post-George Floyd moment or is the industry actually changing where they give? Uh, is this just a moment or is it actually a realization that black talent is being realized in, in this artistic industry? Listen, I'm not into like post moments. We had, you know, we had a post racial moment when Barack Obama was elected. You know, this, this, you know, racism in America is foundational. And so we will never be post anything so far as race is concerned. It is a, it is cyclical. It is a constant, it is a constant battle. And one of the things in terms of like, you know, the, the Emmys, I'm, I'm happy for it because it's great for this show. But, you know, we have to, we, first of all, we have to recognize our own excellence, our own excellence, because when we, when we, when we're not acknowledged by, I'm sorry to have, have to say this, like the largely white voting, you know, members of the Academy, yeah. you know, we are, we're like, oh, that, what does that say about us? Doesn't say anything about us. Doesn't say anything about us. Doesn't make us any less excellent because they yeah. don't see it. We have to see it ourselves. My last question for you today before I let you go out and continue to change the world. You're also starring with Will Smith and King Richard, which I can't wait to see. Beyond the obvious, what was it about the script that jumped out at you? And when will the rest of us be able to see what this amazing trailer portrayed? Yeah, that trailer came out last 
Will posted it last. Um, last Will ain't even tell. Will ain't even tell y'all he was putting it up there. He just put oh, the trail up himself. No, 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 no. People were like texting me. I'm like, what are you talking about? And and then so I'm like, okay, all right. That's what it, that's what it's like for a movie star to do something, right? It's like uh, interna- international star. He just he just he yes. was like, man, send me a, send me the clips so I can put it on Instagram. They you were like, okay. Come on. So I'm like, okay, I'm in that world right now. I'm just, you know, okay, I'll, I'll go for the ride. And like, like 10 million people have like looked at it, you know, but it, and I think that people are looking at it, not just because it's, you know, not just because it's Will Smith and not just because it's, you know, Venus and Serena, but I think people are, were kind of moved by, kind of moved by the trailer. You know, and that so trailer. I, I don't know who does trailers in Hollywood, but the, the person who clipped that trailer, that dude need a raise because he 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 put that together. So it was so brilliant. So brilliant. Yeah, he he or she, because I don't know. I don't know yeah. who did it. I don't know who did it. But yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Like people like really, really responding to it. And and why I wanted to be a part of it, like you said, it's just like anything that anything that brings the story of Venus and Serena and Richard Williams to to audiences I'm down for. But, yo, I think what people are going to be really surprised about and what made me excited about being in it and excited about the world seeing it is their mother. Mm. And, you know, when I was saying about these stories that aren't entered into record, she her story is one that has not been entered into record. So I'm I'm excited for people to see see Miss Orsine. Well, you are an amazing artist. I dare not say actor because your art kind of transforms just one. It gives you the feels. And I think that's what it's supposed to do. So I am grateful for you spending a little bit of time with me today. So thank you, Anjanu Ellis, for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. Thank you. And I'm gonna have so much, so many points with some of my friends because they just they just think you to be his knees. I'm just going to keep it at that. Oh, I love it. Tell them thank you. <laughs> keep me in their prayers. <laughs> Have a good day. Take care. Man, this, uh, before I let you go, before I let go, I hope we play it in the background because this is a special one. Um, to my brother, good friend, Morehouse brother, Birmingham Mayor Randall Wolfen, who won re-election decisively garnering 64% plus of the vote in a crowded field that included his 2017 opponent, William Bell. Now, some folks would say, of course he won. He's the incumbent and he's done a good job. But I want to remind folks, including 2022 Democratic candidates, we're in an anti-incumbent environment. And we've seen this in mayor's races in Buffalo and Pittsburgh, where unadulted candidates beat established candidates. And in cases like Atlanta, popular incumbents like Keisha Bottoms have decided not to run for election because this environment for mayors they have to answer questions on police reform, defund the police, and fight crime all at the same time, which is hard as fuck. They're asked to fight against governors undermining them as COVID rages in their communities and their hospitals are full. They're asked to do more even as their tax bases recover from COVID. There's no harder job than being president other than being an American big city mayor because there's no job where you're expected to solve so many problems with so little resources and do it all while leading the level of government closest to the people. So the fact that my brother won almost 70% of the vote, yes, we're rounding up after leading the city through COVID, 
and last summer's protest is a real accomplishment. And the voters of Birmingham responded in what was arguably the toughest political environment for any politician and any politician could face. So congratulations again, my brother, Mayor Randall Wolfen, on your reelection. And that's that on that. We'll see you guys all on Thursday. Thursday.